Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back. It's that time of the bye week again. Bye week isn't really a thing, but we're going to go with it. (laughs) Anyway, it's time for a new episode of Tripping Up, a comedy travel podcast. I'm your host, Nina Clapperton, travel blogger and solo travel expert. If you're new to the show, welcome. Thank you for joining me. And let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing. Tripping Up is a podcast about celebrating travel trip ups and triumphs. It's the one place where you can laugh at the pain of others and get inspired to book a plane ticket, all in one 45-minute episode. This week's guest may not inspire you to buy a plane ticket, but it'll definitely have you searching for a new bike, and maybe some zip ties. Meet R.C. Shaw, a writer, teacher, surfer, and impressive traveler. R.C. began his journey as a surfer-slash-teacher in Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's the Nova Scotia in Canada for all of our British listeners. He attended the MFA Creative Nonfiction Program at King's College, where he worked with nonfiction experts to craft this epic travel tale. Not only was he working full-time and going to school full-time, but he also had two little girls. RC is a testament to the fact that there's always ways to make your dreams come true, whether they're surfing across Nova Scotia, writing a novel, or spending time with your kids. Sometimes it's all three. Grab your wetsuit and let's dive into this week's episode. This is R.C. Shaw on Tripping Up. Now boarding. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to Tripping Up. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Nina. So we're really excited to learn about how and why you travel. Would you mind sharing with us your travel history? Sure. I love traveling. Like everyone who's listening to this podcast probably loves traveling. Um, my history, you know, I traveled as a, as a kid and a teenager with my parents, we did mostly road trips, but once I got through university, I did a pretty big backpacking tour of Europe by myself for four months. So that was an eye opening experience. And that actually gave me the taste for solo travel, which when I've been reflecting on it, I realized that a lot of my traveling has, has been by myself. So after the Europe trip, it was, uh, mostly hitchhiking journeys. And, and I took a couple big hitchhike, hitchhiking journeys and I've done a lot of hitchhiking since. And it wasn't until, uh, recently when I decided to try 
right? more bicycle camping, surfing travel, but in between a lot of hitchhiking. That's incredible. I mean, I've never been brave enough to even consider hitchhiking. So well done. <laughs> um, did you, where did you do most of the hitchhiking? Was it in North America? Yes. The, the first time I tried it was actually not in North America. It was in Australia. And I, I had okay. been in Australia for teacher's college and I decided to fly up to the very top of Australia and try to hitchhike all the way back down to Sydney. And so that was my first time trying it. Uh, but I've done some more in North America since then. And I think I'll probably end up talking about one of those journeys later on. Okay, perfect. We love it. Um, and since you've had some unique travel experiences, I'm sure you've picked up a weird souvenir over the years. Yeah, actually, that that one, probably the, the weirdest souvenir was a half rack of deer antlers that wow. I liberated from an old decrepit uh, shed in, in a field somewhere on the eastern shore of Nova Scotia. And I kind of, I hemmed and hawed about taking it because I, it wasn't mine to take, but it looked like this place was, was pretty much completely abandoned. So I took half the, half the antler uh, rack of antlers down and, and affixed them to my bicycle and uh, used those as my sort of my headlamp for the rest of the trip. So now I still, I have the, half rack of antlers on my riding shed out back now. Oh, wow. Inside or on the outside? On, on the outside, just above the door. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's really funny how many people have like an animal souvenir as well. Um, yeah. it, I've never considered animal souvenir parts of souvenirs, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it must yeah. have, like, how did you affix it to the bike? Cause you would have had to like tie it or bungee cord it or something. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, before I got it off the, off the shed, I, it was nailed in there. So I, I, when I was pulling it down, I almost poked my eyes out for one. So then after that, I thought I got to make sure this is safe because it's super sharp. But I, the, the key thing I brought on that, on that trip were uh, zip ties. So I zip tied it to the, the front of my handlebars and, and got it really tight. So it was just sitting there. That's a great, like secret tip. I've never thought to bring zip ties while traveling, but that's that's so smart. I'm going to have to start packing them now. I'll look yeah. like a bit of a serial killer or something with them in my luggage, but <laughs> I'm sure well, I'll be fine. I mean, everybody says duct tape is number one. That also makes you look a bit like a serial killer. So why not add zip ties, right? That's true. Just go like full hog into it. Just like have a like little hunting knife ready to go and then just be prepared to answer some questions for some Mounties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, it's been really great learning about kind of your history, but now we want to know your tripping up travel story in a time when things went a little awry. Okay. So I, I'll tell you a little bit about this journey that I did that led to the book I wrote. And it was, it happened about three years ago and I live on the, the Eastern shore of Nova Scotia. So my idea was to try to get from my house in Cow Bay, Nova Scotia, near Halifax, all the way to the fortress of Lewisburg, which is on the uh, eastern side of Cape Breton Island, northeastern side. So that's about 600 kilometers. And I wanted to try to do it by bicycle. And I wanted to find all kinds of waves and, and uh, surf breaks that I hadn't seen along the way. So my plan was to take three weeks and go from Cow Bay to Lewisburg via bike. And I found this old trailer on Kijiji that a man had welded together from a, a kid's bike. And I, this is a pretty rickety contraption already but I, I figured out that it could attach to my commuter bike, which was about 10 years old and I bought it used. So both pieces of equipment that I was planning to travel 600 kilometers on were already 
kind of creaky before I, I left Cow Bay. So that just sets up for the story that comes about <laughs> not nine days in. So I was doing okay. And if you know the Eastern Shore at all, or even Nova Scotia at all, you know that fog is something you have to deal with, but especially on the Eastern Shore. Especially near Cape Breton too. Cape Breton is notorious for terrible weather. Exactly. Yeah. And this was in, this was in June, July. So usually in June, you can count on some good days, but then the fog usually rolls in and the fog brings with it salty air and, and salty air and metal bikes don't agree. And, uh, by, by day six, seven, eight, I just noticed that there was rust, rust forming in lots of different places on the, on the, what I was calling the rig, which is the bicycle and the trailer. So I'm biking along. Uh, there's nothing I could really do about it. And, and I was listening to the, the creaking and, and, uh, like I was doing previous, I, I found this spot it's to pull off the road to check uh, waves and pretty much the whole day I hadn't seen any houses because I was in a super rural location, but I came to this place called new Harbor. When I pulled off the road, I was pedaling up the hill and I basically, I heard this huge crack and I felt it under me and I felt all of a sudden the bike became flimsy. It was like, I was, it was a spaghetti noodle. And it used to, it was rigid and then all of a sudden it was gone and the whole frame fell to the ground. And I knew that something had broken on, on the bicycle, uh, you know, more than just a, a pop tire or a chain off. And, uh, I didn't want to look back at all because I knew this would end my, my quest. And I thought right away, this is it. There's no way I can go f- any further. I will have to hitchhike. That's my backup plan. I look back at the bike and the thing called a seat stay, which actually connects your frame to the, the rear wheel had sheared off. The weld was broken and it was lolling off to the left. And, uh, so I just got frustrated. I thought this is it. Um, at the same time, I noticed the first house that I had seen in a long time, just off to my right, a little white house. And I looked at the house like, okay, what well, this could be this could be helpful, but, um, I'm not sure if anyone lives here cause it's, it's in the middle of nowhere and it doesn't look lived in. But then I saw, I saw this woman's face appear in the window of the house and she's got this huge, like, like late stage dandelion hair <laughs> and glasses. And she just, she looks at me, we make eye contact, then she totally moves out of the frame. And I'm like, okay, I just scared the life out of her. There's, here's this ragged looking traveler and she's just checking in and probably hiding in her, her cellar now. But, uh, I didn't think anything anymore about that. I looked down at my bike, I disconnected it from the trailer and I had this urge to just basically throw the bike in the, into the ditch because that's, it was done. But she came out of her house and she came up to me and she's like, Oh, looks like something's wrong there. And, uh, like, yeah, something's really wrong. My, my frame's completely broken. And uh, she walked towards me. She introduces herself. She's married. She's 80 years old. She's from New Harbor. And uh, she offers me her husband's shed, which is this little shed. I could see it. And she's like, well, she told me this sad story about her, her husband passing away the year before, but she had left his shed exactly the way he left it. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was incredible. Like I literally have goosebumps as you're saying that, like it just feels so like hauntingly beautiful. I love it. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. I, I knew something special was happening, but I just assumed that this shed would have basically maybe some hammers and uh, maybe some tools, just 
not enough to not a welder for one thing <laughs> like yeah <laughs> maybe maybe but I had I had my zip ties and duct tape and I realized that they weren't going to help yeah so she lets me see this shed and I walk up to the shed I open the door and it's the most incredibly organized perfect tool shed with every wrench you could ever imagine multiple hammers like nuts and bolts wow. of all all shapes and sizes um copper wire pretty much exactly what you might need to resurrect something. And I couldn't believe my luck, uh, but I started trying things and, and I come back to my bike and I, I get there and Mary's got her lawn chair out and a jug of water. And she's just <laughs> going to sit and watch me try to fix this bike. Uh, good entertainment for her. Oh yeah. And she's, she's providing commentary keeping things light. And I'm trying to do the same, although I'm thinking this is impossible. I try to, I tried a C-clamp first to try to get the seat stay back on, and but it was too flimsy. I tried a couple other things, and then finally I, I found these things that are called pipe clamps that you can affix a cylinder and cinch it together with a screwdriver. So I took two of them, put them together, cinched the seat stay back on and tightened it, tightened it. And as soon as I had done that last turn, I knew the, the frame was right back together and it was going to wow. be fine. And so I... For foolishly started, you know, can, you know, dancing around and celebrating and, you know, having a great old time with Mary thinking this is it. And, you know, counting my chickens before they hatched, because once I, uh, once I reattached the trailer, which was fully loaded, it had my, my dry bag, my wetsuit, my, my yellow surfboard on top. I, I loaded it back onto the frame of the bicycle. And when I did that, I heard another crack. Oh no. This one was, was a different register. It was a lower crack and it was the trailer. I looked back at the trailer and the top was still level, but the whole bottom of the trailer had fallen to the ground. And it turned out that the, the actual steel neck of the trailer had sheared off at a rusty point. So it was a second catastrophic frame break in, you know, an hour and a half. And, uh, Mary's, she's just sitting there drinking her water. And she's like, oh, looks like you're going to have to go back into the shed. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm like, yeah, it does. But this time I was trying to be a lot more somber about it because, you know, I felt like I jinxed myself. Um, And when I went back to the shed the the next time to try to find something to fix the trailer, I got into the shed and there's this little square window and there's a shaft of sunlight coming in. I kind of looked down at my legs and it's like my greasy legs with the, um, the hair on hair on them. I'm like, okay, this is strange. And the shed door actually swings closed on its own behind me. And then I'm closed in this room and I sense, I know this might sound a little bit supernatural and strange, but I sense the sort of the spirit of the, of Mary's husband there in the room. Wow. And, uh, I know it was probably more just, feeling grateful and thankful that he had kind of left this as his legacy, this, this perfect, uh, laboratory of resurrection, all these tools. And, uh, I just thanked him while I was looking around and went back to the bike with a huge spool of copper wire. And I found a little punch hole in the neck of the trailer, wound it, wound it, wound it. And Mary's like, yep, keep going, give her, you know, take all, <laughs> take, take all the copper wire you, you can handle. I don't need it. And uh, so I just wrapped this thing like crazy. And, she, and she's like, oh, give her some Gorilla Grip uh, tape just to seal the deal. So I was going around with Gorilla Grip tape and 
I got the trailer back together. It's amazing. uh, How did you ever get back into it though? If you've like taped it and wired it together, (laughs) it sounds like it's kind of like a a Rubik's cube now to try and enter. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, I mean the the actual trailer itself um, was like external to the bike. So I I could just, I got on the bicycle itself, but the trailer was pulling behind. So I just brought it back together. And uh, when I got it hooked up and back on, I, I did a couple figure eights because Mary was kind of like, well, what does it look like when you ride this thing? And, and you know, it was way squeakier and, and uh, super Frankenstein, but I knew that it was going to actually hold and, and it held for the next two weeks without another, another wow. break. You were definitely yeah. like, I know I'm not like a ghosty person, but it definitely sounds like something was looking out for you there that's that's what you know i i chose to believe it. and actually when uh, one thing i found when i travel solo is and if you've done it you have a lot of time to think and a lot of time to be by yourself and kind of entertain all these wild imaginative ideas and don't sh- i didn't shoot things down i was kind of trying to listen to and watch for signs and that's yeah, yeah i agree it was it kind of felt like a sign yeah and I, I mean that's the kind of the nice thing about solo travel is like that's mostly what i do as well and you do, you get very reflective, you get kind of mindful about everything that's happening. And I'm sure even more so when it's like, like I do solo travel, usually a little bit less isolated, I'd say than like biking along that coast. Cause Nova Scotia yeah. has some desolate areas where you're just kind of you trees and like, I don't know, a moose somewhere hidden in the forest <laughs> and you're just hoping you don't meet the moose. It's true. <laughs> I did want to ask yeah. you as well, because um, I know that you were surfing along there, and I actually did my undergrad at Dalhousie in Halifax, and uh, I put my feet in that ocean one time, and I never made that mistake again. So how did you <clears> keep <throat> getting back into it? Because the Atlantic is cold. Yeah, the North Atlantic is definitely cold, and it's, it's a cold water surfing spot. So the key is uh, wetsuit, what we say, like rubber, basically, the thicker the rubber, the better. And I had a wetsuit and boots and gloves with me. But since it was June, it wasn't as cold as it gets. You know, the coldest it gets is zero degrees, sometimes even negative one in and around February, March. And we're all surfing through that. If, if you're into it, you're, you've got the thick boots and gloves and the suit with the hood. And so, yeah, it's, it's cold water, but if you have the right wetsuit, you're okay. I mean, you say that, but like I went cave diving in New Zealand and they gave us like the fancy wetsuits and I was still pretty sure I was going to die of hypothermia. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the the X factor is like, if, if you can handle cold water that, you know, just if you're, if you're born that way, maybe, I don't know. And I'm sure there's like some adrenaline, pardon me. I'm sure there's some adrenaline to it too, with, um, kind of, you know, what's coming. And so it's worth it almost. Like I didn't know what was going to happen when I went into this cave. Luckily I saw some glow worms that made it worth it. But like (laughs) until until we saw them, I was really regretting everything I had chosen to do in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, going like you, were you uh, scuba diving? No. Um, so it was a like underwater river rafting cave diving thing. Um, in, Waitomo Bay. So it, it, they're really famous for it because there are so many like the like little blue glowworms on the top of the ceiling, but yeah. you have to get quite a ways through. So you're like jumping off a waterfall backwards. You're like floating in a tube in complete darkness. Like you can't see Whoa. your own hand in front of you. You're holding on to someone's foot to like, or whatever is ahead of you just to like keep going in a line. But like, you don't know what's beneath you, what's beside you, what's above you. And then Holy. all of a sudden there's like 
a million little blue glowworms that just appear in this one cavern and it's beautiful but the hour to get there is <laughs> so cold <laughs> um and like especially when they make you do that first jump in the water to like get the water in the wetsuit to start warming up to body temperature i nearly bailed at that point i was just like oh my god this is a lot can happen in three years like a chat bot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Oh, this is so cold. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. That's the shocking part is that when you first get in. Yeah. 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 And that actually um, does kind of lead me into my travel story. Awesome. Um, So... I, it's not about surfing. I have surfed before. I'm not good at it. So, um, but it's more to do with like cold water. And, uh, when I was kind of thinking about your book and I, I mean, yeah, I'm still baffled that you can surf in Nova Scotia. I have a couple of friends who did in uni and it just, it always sounded insane to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but especially like the newfies who would try and like surf up an iceberg alley. And I was like, they're literal icebergs don't be surfing there what are you doing (laughs) um but anyway so this is also another New Zealand story um I spent a year living in New Zealand uh just kind of living my life solo traveling and uh, I was doing a bus tour and one of the stops was Kaikoura which is really famous for their uh, aquatic life they have like sperm whales uh giant I don't know, every kind of whale. I don't know all the kinds of whales, Um, porpoises. And then they have um, the blue-nosed dolphin, which are some of the smallest dolphins in the world. And they're absolutely adorable. And they have this really great um, eco-opportunity to go swim with them, but in the wild. So you just get like, you you don't know if you'll actually see any, you have no guarantee. Um, And I signed up, spent... I spent so much of my money on that trip in New Zealand, <laughs> um, but I spent a ton and you have to, you get up at like three or four in the morning. You have to go out before the sun's even risen. Again, cool. they pack you into 
um, the like giant wetsuits, you get like a fleece underneath, you get the like jacket on top, like a bolero. And you just, I could barely move my arms and legs properly while we were trying to like get through all of this. Um, but eventually they put you on this little motorboat. And I think there were about maybe 10, 12 of us max. Um, and it's really nice because like they do the whole spiel of like you might not see dolphins, but we're pretty sure you're going to see dolphins. So of course, mm-hmm. like you go in with such high expectations um, and the, they drive you out. And then there's like uh, three different companies doing it near the same time. So they don't go too close to each other, but they tell each other about what's happening. And so all of a sudden, like the radio crackles to life and it's like, there was a sighting, there was a sighting. Um, and our boat was the closest, which meant that we got to go first, which is so cool. So suddenly yeah. you're like, um, you get like the snorkel goggles and everything that have been rubbed with soap. So they taste horrible. Like when you put that snorkel in your mouth um, and then you're just kind of rolling yourself off the back of this boat into what I believe is the coldest waters in the world, even mm. worse than the Atlantic. Cause it was, I mean, at that point it was 5am, the sun still hadn't risen. Um, you're in the middle of the open ocean and mm. it's absolutely freezing. And for that first minute, you're kind of like, you swirl a little bit. And my first sight, instead of a dolphin, like I expected was a seal. And oh. I was really surprised because to my knowledge, you're not supposed to hang out with seals. Seals aren't supposed to hang out with dolphins. And this was, uh, not quite mature as one of the New Zealand fur seals, which we'd been repeatedly told on a hike through Kaikoura Peninsula the day before, not to get close to because they will bite you. Ooh. And suddenly I am like a foot away from this brown fur seal that thankfully, like he kind of looked at me at the corner of his eye and then swirled off. And it was mm. like, for a few seconds, I thought it was hallucination. I was like, okay, was that really there? What just happened? Like, um, I know my life shouldn't have flashed before my eyes, but I was like, maybe it should have because I don't know what could happen with this little thing. Um, I watch a lot of shark week. So like they do look pretty big and chunky. So like maybe they draw in sharks. My sister kept like, my little sister is terrified of travel. So she kept calling me to tell me, don't go in the ocean because sharks are going to get you. So of course I'm like, damn it, I'm right next to shark bait. This is the end of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in the next moment, um, I'm getting kicked in the face by a flipper from someone else. And that kind of brings me back. I mean, not a lovely feeling, but you're kind of the shock of the water and the fin to the face really wakes you up. Um, And then I turned around and suddenly there was this pod of dolphins right there. So there were... I don't know, at least a dozen um, that kept coming and going. And there was even a little baby, which was, I've never, I never hoped to see a baby dolphin in my life because they're, this is already the tiniest dolphin. And suddenly (laughs) there's a tinier, tiny dolphin just like right beside you. And um, dolphins are really playful. So if you make, like we were all making the weirdest, it sounded like foghorn noises because they're attracted to sound. Um, Some people were like singing weird songs, but like we have the snorkel in. So you're singing like, row, row, row your boat but you can't enunciate anything. <laughs> um, so never like occasionally I would come up just cause I was entertained by like the sheer chaos of our little group kicking in a circle and like trying wow. to imitate Dory from finding Nemo, making her whale noises. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's also really cool. Cause if you dive down and swirl, like spin around, they'll spin with you and they'll kind of follow you in this little like underwater whirlwind. And wow. I mean, it, it was a beautiful moment. Um, yeah. 
I did have to, when we jumped out of the water, I was really excited. Uh, my hands were so cold, like you don't get gloves properly. Cause like you need to be careful about not touching them because you don't want to interact. And with gloves, right. you can't always tell. Um, uh. But so we get back on the boat and like, I never thought I'd be relieved to have someone shove a boiling hot hose down the front of a wetsuit, but oh my God, that was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. And like, that was all before 8am in the morning. And like the rest of that day was just downhill from there. Cause that was, I mean, both brilliant and like terrifying. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And you know, like that actually ties our stories together really well because the hot hose down the wetsuit is like every surfer's dream, every cold water surfer's dream actually. Yeah. Well, and I'd never, like, I knew you could get hot. I didn't know you could get that hot. And like, there was like steam rising off of all of us. And like, and you don't, cause you don't want to peel up the wetsuit too fast. And we still had to go to a second spot. And oh my God, it was just, it was the funniest thing. Like having like a bunch of girls, like just kind of like stealing hoses from each other on the back of a boat, <laughs> which I'm sure is like some really weird, wet and wild thing. I don't know. That could be a video, but it was just, it was so funny. We were all just like throwing hoses at each other for a good 15 minutes. <laughs> and and you're all feeling so good because you got to swim with dolphins, which is wicked. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And I mean, I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would get some thermal layers ready for the way back though. Cause that would have helped a lot later. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really cool that, I mean, those kind of ocean activities exist anywhere in the world and the same with surfing. Like, I think it's really amazing that we have this connection to the water and I don't swim very well. So I don't like always feel comfortable in it, but like when you do feel comfortable, it's so freeing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's really what surfing is for me. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Well, we both shared um, some tripping up stories now. So mm-hmm. we like, and we've kind of gotten into some positives, but um, here at Tripping Up, we try to end on a travel positive or a travel mm-hmm. triumph to remind people that even when things get dark and dismal and really hinky, um, that there's always a bright spot and there's always a reason to travel. So if you mm-hmm. wouldn't mind sharing your travel triumph with us. Sure. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a great setup because I was, I was thinking of, uh, the first hitchhiking journey that I tried in, in North America, which, uh, happened about I think 15 years ago. And, and I had decided to check out the East coast. I'm not from the East coast, but this trip actually led me to move here. And I, I See, I'm surprised say, because you do a, you do a brilliant Cape Breton accent when you were imitating Mary. Uh, so like, I thought you were born somewhere in the East coast because only they can really get that twang. <laughs> well, I've, I've been working hard at it for the last uh, 16 or 17 years. And, and now our daughters who are born and raised in Cow Bay so that we, we get to kind of uh, watch them grow up stones throw from the ocean. So we're considering ourselves East coasters now, especially yeah, the girls. Course. I think most, most East coasters are transplants anyway. Yeah, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Well, yeah. this, the, the, the trip I did was there weren't many transplants cause I, I was, this was hitchhiking. So I, I went from St. John's and my, my goal was I had five weeks to get from St. John's to Halifax. Wow. Without, and my goal was really not to take, to take any form of travel other than hitchhiking. And, um, the, the beautiful thing about hitchhiking that I realized and, and was that, you know, I started in the rain and I thought I actually almost bailed out the very first day leaving St. John's in a downpour. And, and there was like two hours without getting a ride. And I thought this is just foolish because I got my, my tent and everything. And, and I'm trying to make this work 
with by camping and, and it's obviously a fool's errand, right? Yeah. Uh, but I did, I, I, fi I finally did get picked up and, and that's set, like, it was like a domino that's set in motion. All these amazing rides I had from these uh, people that I met in Newfoundland. And I realized that, uh, I think hitchhiking, which is now much more of an endangered species than it was before everything started going down in, in March. But hitchhiking is the ultimate uh, trust contract between you as, as the person who's hitchhiking, but even more from the person who pulls over to pick you up. Because to pull over to pick someone up, a stranger up, is to really risk everything. Uh, you know, you don't have to stop. It's way, way, way easier to drive by. But yeah. by that person stopping and picking me up, I always felt it was this beautiful, uh, this form of trust between two people who didn't know each other. So that's that's what got me thinking more about about hitchhiking and uh, why I kind of miss it. I don't think I'm going to hitchhike anymore. There comes a time when you you start to realize that it's maybe just you're you're, you're growing out of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, at the time, it, is the, it was the ultimate way to get a conversation with a stranger and put your trust in fate because oftentimes the hitch would lead to something that you didn't plan at all. So if you're a planner, you won't like hitchhiking. But if you really like to um, be open to brand new experiences and say yes to most things, then hitchhiking is, is such a great way to get an adventure. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, as a woman, I often don't consider it. Um, I was wondering, so if you have any tips for then hitchhikers, um, maybe if people go in, is it harder if you go in pairs or some mm. tips for newbies out there? Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the main tips I have is, would be, and I, I haven't actually hitched with, with a group or a pair, but I think, I think it, that that's a good idea. You kind of limit yourself though. If, if, uh, the, the person driving by, doesn't have enough room, yeah. especially if you, if you have gear. So I've never hitchhiked with a surfboard, uh, only once actually. But, um, the, the first thing I think is hitch, see if you can get out in the morning. Okay. Don't, don't be hitchhiking late afternoon into the evening. That's it's never good when the sun's going down. Um, so try to do your actual traveling in the morning. Always find a good spot where you, where the driver can see you from a long distance off. That gives them time to think about it and, then by the time they actually pass you, maybe, they, maybe they're up for stopping and picking you up. It doesn't hurt to smile as well. Yes. Um, that's what I try to do. And the other thing I found is I, I'd never use a sign. You know, some people use a sign. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of find sign maybe signaling something that, uh, you know, if, you know like, I'm going to BC, but you're in Quebec. Well, the yeah. person thinks, Oh geez, this is going to be a really long, <laughs> a long drive. So I would never use a sign, but the other thing is, um, really the, the last thing I wanted to say about making hitchhiking work is I had this thing where it's probably not, not good advice, but try not to refuse a ride. So do make, do, if someone pulls over, go up before, before I get into the car, I just have a quick look to see if I could trust it, but it was already a, a, a leap of faith. So I felt if I turned down a ride, I was, I was kind of this bad luck, but again, that's not, that's not advice. That's just how I did it. That's fair. And I mean, like maybe worst case too, if you already have the zip ties and duct tape and your hunting knife, you can always be like, Oh, well, I'm a murderer too. So we, we can't murder each other. <laughs> yeah. You, you get along. And actually that, the neat thing is that here's one thing. If someone says check in my glove box, don't do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I made the mistake once. And, uh, there was a really strange, actually a strange photograph in there that was quite shocking. Oh, and, goodness. uh, but I'll save that for another, for another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe for a, a more blue version of the podcast then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's been yeah. amazing. Um, Ryan, we've really loved having you on the podcast. Thank you for all of your amazing tripping up stories. Um, mm -hmm. and for the hitchhiking tips, it's a great bonus for our listeners. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you, Nina. I really appreciated it. Attention passengers. We've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day. I'm still shivering thinking about that Atlantic water. I can't imagine surfing in that and then hopping on a half broken duct tape bicycle and continuing on your way. RC is made of some thicker stuff than I am. RC really went all in with the adventure in his adventure travels. Check out his debut travel book, Lewisburg or Bust, a surfer's wild ride down Nova Scotia's drowned coast. Unlike modern tales of cycle travel with spandex and expensive kit, RC traveled the road like an adventurer of old. With just a map and a copy of Don Quixote to guide him, he set forth to cycle and surf the Lewisburg coast. He describes it best. No gadgets, no safety net, just the restless pulse of the Atlantic Ocean as it rips and tears at the clay headlands of the eastern shore. Lewisburger Bust is like Don Quixote with a surfboard. It's equal parts dream adventure and nightmare travel trip up, all thrown together. <laughs> Throughout reading it, you'll feel RC's deep love for the Nova Scotian coast, including a shockingly accurate Cape Breton accent, even in the written form. You'll find a link to buy the book in the show notes. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Tripping Up wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us reach new people to share these incredible trips and triumphs. See you in two weeks. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program.